morning, my wife and I were in Clinton, Massachusetts, and I had the opportunity to preach at Faith Bible Baptist Church. And so we were there for the 10 a.m., 11 a.m., and they had a potluck, and then they put me on the hot seat this morning. Did they not? And they were firing off. Prophecy Q and A. This went on for about what, Patty? <clears throat> Maybe 35 minutes, 40 minutes or so, I don't know. But, I mean, it just went right by. And so they were just asking question on top of question on top of question. But we had a wonderful time. Uh, preaching and teaching God's word, but no evening service. So I'm like, great, we can be in our own home church tonight. And then I get the text from Pastor Tony that he lost his voice. I feel like I'm ready to lose my voice. And that uh, if I would be able to preach, I'm like, yeah, absolutely, sure. Whenever I have the opportunity to preach, <clears throat> I'm going to preach. Amen. Amen. Now, you talked about, uh, Brother Tom, the uh, Church Planters Conference tomorrow night. I'm going to be the speaker there uh, tomorrow night, so please keep me in prayer as I preach. Uh, the place is going to be filled with pastors, uh, missionaries, up-and-coming pastors. And the main purpose for this conference is to plant local churches in New England, like East Bay Baptist Church. Amen. East Bay Baptist Church is a local plant, amen? And there are churches out there that support this work and what's going on here in East Providence, Rhode Island, and we need to have more local church planted. I mean, I tell you, New England can be a very tough nut to crack. You know, you got pastors that come from other places, they come here, and they see it's, it's not easy, and they just throw in the towel, they give up, and go for greener pastures. Thank God for Pastor Tony. He's not like that, amen? He's been sticking with this for a while now because this is what God has called him to do. And when we left one other church praying where God would send us, it was pretty much a no-brainer. This is where God wanted us to be. And this is where we are, and uh, my wife and I are just blessed to be a part of this church this church plant and seeing what the Lord's doing uh, over here. So, uh, Pastor Tony, I know that you're under the weather, but we love you. Are we, are we live streaming right now? So he's watching, right? So we love you, buddy, praying for you. Amen. And uh, I'm sure that he'll be ready to go by uh, Wednesday. And so please pray for me because a week from tomorrow, off to Israel for my 33rd trip to the Holy Land. Now, what am I going to Israel for? I think you know the answer. Bingo. Going there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Jews and Gentiles. Dr. Todd Baker and myself are going to be going for 13 days. So keep us in prayer as we share the good news with the Jews. Amen. Because we want to see the Jews <laughs> in the pews. But in order for the Jews to be in the pews, the Jews need to hear the, the, the good news. Amen. Or as they say in Hebrew, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm looking forward to it. My 33rd trip to the Holy Land. It's like I know that place like the back of my hand. So I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to hooking up with Dr. Baker. Him and I will be talking tonight. Amen. Every week we pray uh, as we get closer toward the trip. So Todd likes to, um, how can I put it, uh, dramatize it. So he does it this way. We are now at DEFCON one because <laughs> we'll be leaving a week uh, from tomorrow so please keep that in prayer pray for Todd and I that God will just open the doors out there in the land of promise prophecy and in the future 
privacy. That's going to be your home in the kingdom to come for how many years? 1,000 years. It's Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 through 7. So I'm looking forward to going back to Israel. And, of course, my wife and I, for the very first time in our ministry's history, will be leaving for Greece in May. Now, this I've never been to Greece before. Okay, so it's going to be a first time for us. But we're leading a group of people over there to Greece. We're calling this the Greece Prophecy Tour because we're going to be following, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, journeys of the Apostle Paul. And then we're going to go on a boat, and we're going to cruise to the Isle of Patmos. That's where John penned the book of Revelation. Think about this with me for a moment. Sixty-five years after Jesus ascended up into heaven from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, 65 years later, he appears to the Apostle John. Right there on the Isle of Patmos. I get on YouTube every night, and I'm looking at videos of Patmos, and it's going to be a great experience. So we're bringing a very small group of people uh, with us, but, you know, if you're watching live stream or you're here, you're interested in coming with us, let me know. I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. All right, let's take our Bibles. Ugh. Galatians, see what I mean? <clears throat> when I preach all day, man, I just my voice just gets very, very, very hoarse. But we're going to get through this, amen? amen. We're going to be in Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. We're going to look at one verse. Verse 16. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> and looking at verse number 16. Then we'll look at it in context. What I want to talk about is, who is the Israel of God? Is it the church? Has the church replaced Israel? Is it talking about ethnic Israel? We're going to let the Bible answer that question. Not August Rosado. We're going to let the Word of God answer that. So hopefully you have your Bibles. We're at Galatians chapter 6. Notice with me, please, in verse 16. And the Word of God says this. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Two things I want you to do tonight. Take your pen. And I want you to underline as many as walk. Underline that. Okay, if you can't, if you have a pen. Then I want you to underline the Israel of God. Now we see two groups there in verse number 16. When he says, as many as walk according to this rule or according to this principle, if you will, he is referring to the non-Jewish believers. But when you get to, and mercy and upon the Israel of God, he is referring to Jewish believers, even though both Jew and Gentile are one in Jesus Christ. Amen? Born-again Jews, born-again Gentiles are one in the Lord Jesus, that middle wall of partition has been broken down. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14 tells us, Brother Tom, making both one and Messiah. Let's have a word of prayer tonight. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace, your mercy, 
your love for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning at Faith Bible Baptist Church. Thank you for Brother Roger Qualls and all of his people there and for the wonderful time that we had, Lord, studying your word. And so, Father, thank you for this opportunity uh, for open doors to be here tonight at our home church, Lord, uh, to preach once again the word of God. My prayer that you be with Pastor Tony, that your hand be upon him, that you would strengthen him, give him grace, heal his body. And Lord, I just pray that you just touch him in a special and mighty way. Father, meet with us tonight as we open your word and look at these timely truths found here in scripture. And Lord, I pray that you bless those watching via live stream. And if there might be anybody here tonight and they do not have the assurance of going to heaven when they die, it's my prayer, Lord, that they would settle that and call upon the name of the Lord and get saved. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do now. Be with all of those that are going through health issues right now. We think of uh, Betty. Uh, we think of Nancy, Patty, her surgery coming up Thursday. Pray that your hand be, Lord, in the midst of all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. And amen. Now, Galatians chapter 6 in context shows how believers ought to bear one another's burdens, right? You ought to bear my burdens. I ought to bear your burdens. We ought to encourage one another, be there for one another, pray for one another. And that's what we see here in Galatians chapter 6, to bear or share one another's burdens and to be crucified to the world and to the world's system. Why? This world opposes Jesus Christ. This world hates Jesus the Messiah. How do we know that? John chapter 15 verse 18. Jesus said, know this, that the world hated me before it hated you. Then he says in verse 19, if ye were of the world, the world will love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Before you got saved, you were a part of the world system. And the world loved everything about you. But now that you're saved, and you've been chosen out of the world, now you oppose this world system. This world hates everything about me because of who you represent. You are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that reminds me of Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. I'm here to tell you that in the future, God's going to have the last laugh. When he judges and crushes the nations of this world. So Galatians 6, in context, shows that we ought to bear one another's burdens and to be crucified to the world and the world system. You'll notice with me in verse 15 of Galatians chapter 6. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision 
availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. But what? A new creature. What is Paul the Apostle saying? He says, neither circumcision, which by the way was a practice of the Jews, that takes you back to Genesis chapter number 15, nor uncircumcision. Paul says, it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't benefit anything. But being a new creature in Jesus Christ. That should remind you, 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's not circumcision nor uncircumcision. It's who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Only a new creature in Messiah Jesus benefits anybody, spiritually speaking. A new, transformed, changed life. How does that happen, by the way? When one calls upon the name of the Lord. Right? Romans 10, 13. For whosoever, I love that word, whosoever. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Does it say if? Maybe. Possibly. It says shall be saved. Our salvation is sealed in Jesus Christ. You can't unseal it. I can't unseal it. I had a guy approach me today at that one particular church. And he raised his hand for salvation. Him and I talked a little bit. He says, you know, I backslide a lot. I don't think I'm good enough for heaven. Uh, I'm not worthy. I get these thoughts. You know, I know I trusted in Jesus as my personal Savior. But I, I just don't know. And I looked at him and I said, you can know. First John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. Settles it right there. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So I gave him all these passages, told him to look it up. We can know that we are saved and sealed in Jesus Christ. There are going to be times when you mess up. Times when you're going to screw up. Nobody is good enough to get to heaven. Nobody is worthy. If we deserved anything from God, it's wrath. It's judgment. That's what we deserve. But thank God we have an advocate. That one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us. So it's neither circumcision or uncircumcision. It's a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we think of the term Israel, that can mean one of three things. When you say Israel, you could be referring to Jacob, right? His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 28. When you say Israel, you could also refer to the ten northern tribes, right? 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 16 through 19. When you say Israel, you could be referring to the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. That's um, 1 Kings 12, 17. Or referring to all 12 tribes. So Israel can be used one of those three ways. Remember, 
Whenever we see that word tribe in the Bible, it is never, ever, ever used of anything but a literal ethnic group. Amen? So let's see if we can get this going here. Am I pointing at you? Or do I point it at the screen? All right. There we go. Did I do that or did you do that? I did that, huh? Well, there we go. Okay. So it's always referring to a literal ethnic group. For example, Revelation chapter 7. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000 of all the, that's ethnicity, of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Is that talking about the church? Absolutely not. All the tribes of the children of Israel, 12,000 each, are sealed. 144,000 and all. 12,000 each from the 12 tribes of Israel. Let me ask you all a question. What is the purpose for the 144,000 in the future? What's the purpose? To evangelize. To preach the gospel. You're not going to be here, right? Church is going to be in heaven. Somebody's got to preach during the tribulation period. Enter the 144,000. They are not the ding-dong hall of the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not the Mormons. They're not the way, they're not Scientology, the way international, whatever. They are literal ethnic Jews. 12,000 each from the 12 tribes of Israel. And during the tribulation period, these guys are going to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no reason to say that this refers to anything else other than that they are literal ethnic Jews. Sealed by God. And nobody can touch them. The problem here is that you got some in the church that believe that the 144,000 are symbolic of the church. Let me tell you something. Allegorizing scripture is dangerous. You know this, Brother Tom, right? Spiritualizing, allegorizing the word of God can be dangerous. You know why? You can make it sound any way that you want. You're in the driver's seat. You're in control. You are determining what the word of God says rather than the word of God itself. Let me tell you something, folks. Allegorizing scripture is absolutely dangerous. You know why? It leads to false doctrine. It leads to misinterpretation. It leads to what we would call eisegesis. What's eisegete? Know what eisegete means? If you're in Bible college, Pastor Tony will tell you this. When you eisegete, know what you're doing? You're putting your own thoughts and your own ideas into the text. This is what I think it should say. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what I think. It's what the Word of God says. You never, never, ever eisegete. You exegete. What does it mean to exegete? To draw the intended meaning from the Word of God. 
as intended by the author himself. This is a big problem, folks, in the church today. Why don't we take the scriptures for what they literally say anymore? Looking at this group right here. Obviously, obviously, they are 144,000 Jews, 12,000 each from the 12 tribes of Israel, and they are sealed by God. It doesn't mean anything else other than they are Jews. Sometime next week, I'm going to be there praying at that 2,000-year-old wall. You're looking at what they call in Hebrew the kotel. Christians call it the wailing wall. You're looking at the remnant, the remains of a 2,000-year-old wall built by Herod the Great himself. That was the retaining wall during the Second Temple period, first century A.D. in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, out of that ethnic group, will seal 140 and 4,000 of them. We see passages taken out of context to promote this awful doctrine called replacement theology. That's a big problem today in the church, man. Well, what does replacement theology say? Well, because Israel has fallen out of favor with God, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. God has now rejected Israel. And all the promises that God gave to the Jews are now null and void. And those promises have been transferred over to the church. So now the church is the new Israel. You are the Israel of God. Galatians chapter 2. Here we come to 16. But is that what it's really teaching? No. I don't think so. And Tom, they love to use passages like Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This does not show that God is done with Israel. This does not show a, a distinct obliteration between Israel and the church. What do you think Paul's saying here? What do you think he's saying here? It says you are Abraham's seed, which means you must have replaced Israel. That is not what Paul the Apostle is talking about. Paul is saying that those who are joined to Jesus Christ are spiritual descendants of Abraham. You are the spiritual offspring of Abraham and heirs to Abraham. We, as the church, are beneficiaries of some of the promises that have been made to Abraham, going all the way back to Genesis chapter number 12. Though believers in Jesus Christ are the spiritual offspring of Abraham, they still remain distinct from ethnic Israel. Listen, you can't ignore Romans chapter 9. You know what that? You know why? Romans chapter 9 talks about Israel past. The promises and the covenants 
that God made with the Jewish people. Now, replacement theology today says, well, all those promises have been transferred from Israel over to the church. Folks, that can't be right. You know why? Because of what I read in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. <laughs> All those promises that God made to the Jewish people are immutable. Can't change it. They're untransferable. They are irrevocable. God has not broken his covenant promises to the Jewish people. Romans chapter 9 is clear on that matter. Abundantly clear. Then, when we get to Romans chapter 10, it talks about Israel in the present, which is why I go out there. What is Israel in the present? In a state of unbelief. That has been the case for the past 2,000 years. Why do you think Jesus wept on the Mount of Olives? One of my favorite places to go to. Why did he weep over the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives? If you come on one of our prophecy tours to Israel, and I'll take you to the Mount of Olives, I'm going to point to your attention a church on the Mount of Olives. It's shaped like a teardrop. They call it in Latin, Dominus Flevit, the Lord and why did he weep? Because he knew the nations would reject him. Matthew 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which I sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen would gather her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. You would have nothing to do with me. Now the Lord puts a bullseye on the temple. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. It's coming down because of what ye did today. But, he says in verse 39, the next time you see me, Israel, in the future, you're not going to reject me. The next time you see me, you will cry out, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. That will fulfill Psalm 118 and verse number 26. When Israel would come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Israel in the present, Romans chapter 10, is in a state of unbelief. And that must be the case up until the fulfillment of the time of the Gentiles. When will the times of the Gentiles come to an end? Not at the rapture. I've heard that I don't know how many times. Times of the Gentiles comes to an end at Jesus' second coming, at the end of the tribulation period. Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, And it shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And then we read in Romans eleven twenty five. and by the way, Paul said, don't be ignorant. He 
said, I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That's when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth and he crushes all Gentile world powers. And he will establish his kingdom from the city of Jerusalem. For how many years? One thousand years. It's Revelation chapter 20, 2 through 7. Then when we get to Romans chapter 11, it tells us of Israel's future. When they call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. When they see Jesus return at the end of the tribulation period, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. And all these second coming passages like Zechariah 12.10. I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Matthew 24.30 they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and they shall mourn over him. Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel shall be saved. Revelation 1, 7, behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Those are not rapture passages. Those are all second coming passages. Another verse that these Replacement theology guys love to use is Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, to teach that God is done with Israel. For we are the circumcision. See, August, it says right there, for we are the circumcision. See, we've replaced Israel. We are the circumcision, which worship God in. Another question for all of you. Is he talking about physical circumcision or spiritual circumcision? Exactly, Bill. He's not talking about physical circumcision. He's talking about, ladies and gentlemen, spiritual circumcision. As practiced by the Jews, that was physical circumcision. Genesis 15. Paul here is referring to spiritual circumcision. Listen, you've got to apply inductive Bible study. You've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. Amen. You would take Philippians 3.3 3, and you would go, uh, put it up against Romans chapter 2 and verse number 29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. Ethnicity, a physical Jew. And circumcision is that of the? So obviously we know he's talking about spiritual circumcision here. In the spirit and not in the letter or the law, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So Paul is not talking about this physical circumcision. He's talking about spiritual circumcision. Listen, the moment you got saved, you were circumcised. Women, yes, you were also circumcised. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, right? But it's the circumcision of moment you call upon the name of the Lord. The moment you got born again, you were spiritually circumcised. But that doesn't prove or teach that God has replaced Israel with the church. God still has a plan for the Jewish people. These verses do not support Israel 
as a metaphorical reference to the church. It folks, it's it's not there. Which brings me back to Galatians 6:16. And as many as walk according to this rule, Gentile believers, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about the Israel of God. Was not Paul a Jew? Of course he was a Jew. Was he not a rabbi from Tarsus? Of course he was. Nowhere is Paul even remotely implying that the church is through Israel. Brother Tom, you look at Galatians chapter 6. I don't find the mention of the word church in that chapter. We know he's talking to believers, but he never, ever, ever even comes close to saying that the church has replaced it. We are the Israel of God. That's not what he's talking about here. Obviously, Paul is speaking of individual saved Jews who have put their faith in, I love this word here. Can somebody read that for me? Always read Hebrew, Ivrit, right to left. Yod, Shin, Vav, Ayan, Yeshua. Yeshua is Jesus' original birth name. It was a very common birth name 2,000 years ago in Israel. When they find these ancient ossuaries in Israel, they're like little small casket. You know, when a person, when a Jewish person died, they would anoint the body, wrap it up in white linen, put it in the family tomb for one year. After one year, they would collect the bones, put them in ossuaries. And maybe about that tall, maybe that wide, that tall or so. And then we'll put it in the family burial chamber. They have found many ossuaries in Israel that said, Yeshua Ben Yosef, Jesus, son of Joseph, or Yeshua ben Mattathias, Jesus, the son of Matthew. I mean, you found it. It was a very common name 2,000 years ago. That was his name. And Yeshua means salvation. Salvation. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, And thou shalt call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. But it's not just limited to the Jewish people anymore, is it? He died for the sins of both Jew and Gentile. Who were the first Christians? Jews. The Jews were the first Christians, man. Christianity comes from the root of Judaism. To ignore that is to ignore the scriptures. The first Christians were Jews. There were no Gentiles up until Acts chapter number 10. The first Gentile convert to Christianity was who? A Roman. A centurion at Caesarea. Remember his name? Cornelius, exactly. And then from there, Gentiles are flowing into the church. Yeshua, salvation. He shall save his people from their sins. These saved Jews 
do not do away with God's promises to national ethnic Israel. The term Israel refers to physical Jews everywhere in the New Testament at least 65 times. Galatians 6.16 does not support the idea that the church is the new Israel. I'm just going to go right out and say it. It's an anti-Semitic doctrine. It's anti-Semitic. No other way to call it. It's a very hateful doctrine. It's false doctrine. And it has no business being taught in a church or any Bible seminary. For that matter. Nor <coughs> does it support the idea that the 144,000 Jews in Revelation 7 metaphorically refers to the church. Here's another weak argument for you, Brother Tom. Another weak argument is that, well, because the tribe of Dan is not mentioned in Revelation chapter 7, can we actually say, August, that those 12 tribes there are literal tribes? Why not? It doesn't imply anything else. Well, so what? Because the tribe of Dan is missing. So was the tribe of Ephraim, right? Let me ask again another question. Why was the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim missing in Revelation chapter 7? Why are they not there? They were tribes, right? But why are they not mentioned among the 12 tribes of Revelation chapter 7? Why are they missing? Judges chapter 18. Dan introduced apostasy into the 12 tribes. And so did Ephraim. Which is why I find in Hosea chapter 6 verse 10, I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. But you got to keep the number at 12. So if Dan is missing and Ephraim is missing, how do we keep the number at 12? Levi <laughs> and Joseph. Yeah, you back there, Joseph. Levi and Joseph. Were they actual tribes? Not really. But you've got to keep the number at 12, right? So Dan and Ephraim are replaced by Levi and Joseph to keep the number at 12. So all because Dan and Ephraim are missing doesn't mean that we're not looking at literal 12 tribes in Revelation chapter number 7. Then we get to Matthew 25, 32 and 46. Matthew 25 speaks of the 10 virgins and the sheep and goats. Who are the 10 virgins? Five wise, five unwise. Who were the five wise? The saved Jews of the tribulation period. Who are the five unwise? The unsaved Jews of the tribulation period. When we get to the sheep and goats, the sheep would represent who? The saved Gentiles of the tribulation period. And the goats would be who? The unsaved Gentiles of the tribulation period. So why is there a judgment of the sheep and goats? They are judged by Jesus Christ based on how they treat Jesus' ethnic brothers and sisters. 
the Jewish people. What did Jesus say? When you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. You remember when Saul, before he became known as Paul, what was Saul doing to the church? Persecuting Christians. He stood right there when the Bible records the first apostolic martyr of James. He's killed right there in Acts chapter number 12. And guess who's standing on the side, smiling from ear to ear? Saul of Tarsus. While holding their garments. He was right there, and he was egging them on as they killed James. And remember when he's on his way to Damascus? With warrants to arrest Christians. All of a sudden, <gasps> he sees the brightness of the sky. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Again, another question. Did Paul actually persecute Jesus himself? No, but he was touching the brethren. And by touching the brethren, he was touching who? He was touching the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we see later on, Saul ends up being saved. He becomes part of the church. So these guys are judged based on how they treat Jesus' ethnic brethren, the Jewish people. And that might even go for the 144,000 in Revelation chapter number 7. Folks, bottom line is this. God has a plan for Israel. That is distinct for the plan that he has for the church. You have the national election of Israel and the ecclesiastical election of the church. Neither usurps the other. Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel. Sure, Israel right now in the present is set aside. As God is dealing with who? You. God is dealing with the church to do what? To preach the gospel to every creature. To support missions. To evangelize the world. That's what we're going to be doing next week. In the Holy Land. That's the job of the church. But when the church is taken out at the rapture, guess who God is going to deal with? Israel. Unbelieving Israel. To do what? To bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And that will happen in the future. During a seven year period of tribulation. How is the gospel going to be preached in the tribulation period? The first half, two witnesses, Revelation chapter 11, they're preaching, and because they're preaching, 144,000 Jews get saved, and they're going to be prophesying during the first half. During the last half of the tribulation period, God dispatches an angel to circumnavigate the earth, Revelation 14, 6, to preach the everlasting gospel to them who dwell on the earth, to every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. We hear about all these revivals going on. This Asbury stuff. I don't have a problem with you calling your little get-together a revival, but you're having a revival 
America's still a mess. The country's a mess. The world is a mess. But yet, we have all these revivals going on, and the world's a mess. You want to talk about a biblical revival? You want to talk about a biblical revival? That's going to happen in the tribulation period. The gospel will be preached, and guess what? Millions, millions worldwide are going to get saved. That is a biblical revival. When the nations of the world respond, you don't have a revival by getting together, going to church, taking your guitar, and singing, Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya. Maybe you should reword it, even though the word revival doesn't appear in the Bible. Revive does. Psalm 85, verse 5. Why do we have a conference called Revive Us Conference? Revive us to win souls. Revive us to preach the gospel. Revive us to share the good news. Revive us to read more of the word of God. Revive us to get on our knees and pray. Revive us to get around our pastor. Revive us. Oh, we like to put on these little shows and have a revival, and the world is still a mess. A biblical revival is coming where millions, millions all over the world are going to get saved with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the 144,000 ethnic Jews, by the two witnesses, and by that angel preaching the everlasting gospel. Folks, I'm, I believe that we are running on borrowed time. You know what that tells me? Jesus is coming sooner rather than later. Amen. Right. You know, Paul again likes to use this, don't be ignorant. He says it all the time in his epistles, don't be ignorant, don't be ignorant, don't be ignorant. When it comes to the rapture, you know what he says? Don't be ignorant. I had a guy, another guy come up to me today at this church in Clinton, Mass. He said, August, I was involved with the Church of Christ. You know, they teach baptismal regeneration and all this other stuff. He said, you know something? I never believed in the rapture. I didn't find it in the Bible. I never believed in the doctrine of the rapture. I rejected it. I rejected it. Up until this morning, when you put it all in front of me. I'm like, no kidding. I said, yeah. He said, I was involved in the Church of Christ. I was watching this guy and that guy, listening to this guy on radio, this guy on TV. He said, August, I got to tell you, man, he's so confused. Of course you're confused. You're getting your doctrine from out there rather than from right here. Amen. I preached for Brother Todd Bell a few weeks back, Calvary Baptist Church in Sanford, Maine. And before I got up there, he said, August, looked right down at him, he goes, August, before you come up here, I'm going to tell you this. He said, there was a time when people would come up to me as their pastor and ask me a biblical question. What does this mean? What's that talking about? He said, you know what they do now? They go to those guys on TV. 
And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oi vey. They go to this guy on TV, this one on Christian radio. They get all that information from them. Then they come into church, and guess what they're doing? They're second-guessing their own pastor. Oh, pastor, you, you said this, but so-and-so on TV said that. <coughs> pastor, you were teaching this, but so-and-so on radio said that. See, that's your problem. Your problem is you're getting your doctrine out there rather than from in here. Tomorrow night I'll be preaching at that church planters conference. And that's exactly what I'm going to be talking about. What I see going on today, folks, is the undermining and the disrespect that's happening to the man of God. They bring a false doctrine through those doors and they'll try to divide this church, and undermine the authority of the man of God. You need to cut that cancer out before it grows. A couple came and visited the church today. They get my newsletters. They said, Brother Rizzotto, we wanted to come and hear you preach. I'm like, well, that's a blessing. And then he, they said this to me. We had to remove a Calvinist from my church. I'm like, God save the king, man. And I knew exactly what he was talking about because the pastor of that church told me what was going on. And I told the pastor right there, you better cut out that cancer before it grows. And it began to spread. Pastor had to get in there, cut that cancer out, and tell this guy, you need to leave. I know I'm chasing a rabbit here, but a person does not come into Calvinism by reading the word of God. Do you know how they come into Calvinism? They're indoctrinated. They're indoctrinated into Calvinism. All these charismatics that say, well, I'm going to teach you how to have the gifts of speaking in tongues. Well, it's a gift. Why are you teaching it? <laughs> if it comes supernaturally from God, why do you got to teach it? Todd Baker sends me this stuff all the time. And it's, it's, it's the comedy hour. I actually, Patty and I listened to the audio. <laughs> we listened to the audio. And the guy's up there and he's like, I'm going to teach you how to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of tongue. Now, listen to me and hear how I do it. This is what he did. Ready? I'm going to try to keep a straight face here. <laughs> goo, goo, ga, 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 goo, 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 ga, 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 ga. Okay, come on now, go with me, folks. Goo, goo, ga, 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 goo, 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 like a little baby. Goo, goo, ga, 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 goo, 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 ga, ga. I can't help you. You have to help yourself. Come on now. Goo, goo, ga, ga. And then we wonder why the church, the world doesn't take us seriously anymore. Because of nonsense like this. Folks, you got to stay in the book, man. You got to get into the book. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
If you don't do that, you'll be carried away with every wind of doctrine. Stick with the book. Study, study, study. Read your Bibles on a daily basis. Get into the Word of God. Memorize it. Read it. Study it. Get it within you, amen? So that way, you'll be able to do what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer. To every man that asketh the reason of the hope in you with meekness and with fear. Why? We are running on borrowed time. Jesus is coming soon. Now, I left my shofar in the car, but that's okay. Jesus is, you want to run and get it? Jesus is coming soon. And the next main event on God's calendar of activities, the rapture of the church. Again, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort. Comfort one another with these words. I don't know how much time we have left, folks, but it's got to be borrowed time. Running on fumes, as they say. But Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Let's be in the word, in prayer, support our pastor, win the lost at any cost. He could come in the evening tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Lord, when we look at the scriptures for their plain sense interpretation, we clearly see, Lord, that the church is not Israel, and Israel is not the church. You have a distinct plan, Lord, for the church in the here and now, and a plan for Israel in the not-too-distant future. Lord, I pray that in these last days in which we live, help us, Lord, to be astute students of your word, read our Bibles, to be in prayer, winning souls to the Lord Jesus in these last days. So, Father, I pray that what we heard tonight would resonate with us and we would apply it and that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be busy bodies, winning people to Jesus Christ. Lord, there could be someone here tonight.
maybe right now, they're sitting there, and they do not have the assurance of going to heaven when they die. Lord, I pray that they will settle that tonight and call upon the name of the Lord. Become that new creature, that new creation in Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would take this brief invitation. And right now, Lord, please use it for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Joseph.